0: 30 seconds and counting. This is NewsCoup, a public herald production where we set the record straight on what's in the news. I'm your host, Joshua Pribanek, and today we're going to be talking about pool salt. You might be shocked to learn that a Clorox product used to treat swimming pools came from fracking wastewater. The Public Herald has discovered that Eureka Resources, a company based in Pennsylvania, has been treating wastewater from shale gas development, a.k.a. fracking, and packaging the crystal byproduct as Clorox pool salt for distribution since 2017. Now, this story came to us in, in 2018. We got tipped off by someone who wanted us to look closer at what Eureka Resources was doing over there. So. We reached out to Gerald Bogdan recently. He's the vice president of engineering at Eureka Resources uh, to try and answer some of the questions that we have about what exactly is going on over there, how is this stuff being tested. For those that are not familiar, um, fracking wastewater can contain extremely high amounts of radioactivity. Uh, The few tests that we've looked at are, you know, a thousand times higher than what's considered safe for drinking water when it comes to something like radium-226, and other tests have even suggested that it's even higher than that in, in, in some cases. So Eureka claims that their patented process is going to strip the wastewater of all these uh, dangerous constituents. And that's the conversation that we ended up having uh, with their vice president of engineering at Eureka. It
1: took us, you know, we had to kind of go through a tortuous process that included many elements to get to the point where we were making, you know, uh, uh uh, safe salt, if you want to put it that way. Um, you know, it 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 took a lot of process development, working with technology vendors, et cetera, et cetera, um, pertaining to use of that salt within the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Specifically, there were specific co-product determination processes, which are kind of like beneficial use determinations that we went through. Basically, all of that was focused on generating a a product that was chemically equivalent to salt products on the market being sold either in bulk or commercially in in bag form. Okay. So Mm -hmm. we went through this process at first, we thought we were going to market our salt as, as road salt, you know, for land application, de-icing salt. (laughs) Um, And then kind of what we realized after talking with some of the major salt producers who we were trying to partner with at the time, that our technology was actually so well designed that we were able to generate a high, even a higher quality salt than just land application salt, okay, de-icing salt. Um, and it became pretty evident that we actually were making food grade salt chemically, okay. Now we, we don't market our salt for food grade purposes, but we were ma- we were meeting the specification of food grade salt, okay. So the doorway opened for us to to pursue higher margin markets. Okay. That generated more, more sales revenue of that, of that co product And, uh, what we ended up falling upon was that our salt was perfect in its granulated form, not even compacted, um, for pool salt, both chemically, you know, the specification we're able to hit, just the physical characteristics of our product. And, you know, it, it was pretty evident that as long as we uh, installed a drying process and a, a an automated bagging process under our control, you know we could we could generate a product that could be sold commercially, and that's exactly what we did. You know, we evaluated multiple uses, and we could have pursued other other avenues. Okay, um, we could have walked down the road application or the, the de-icing salt path, or we could have uh pursue some other industrial use what you know like uh uh, as a feedstock for um chloralkali facilities for example you know uh, that utilize sodium chloride you know uh, as a feed material um and we evaluated all those possibilities and our salt was fit for all of that again because of the robust nature of the design of our system um but we ended up following the path of Maximum revenue, and that was the full salt, um, uh, you know, avenue again. And you know, another big element of that was we established a really good working relationship and business relationship with with a major salt distributor that had a hole in in their market. Okay, uh, in the United States, just about exactly where we we are in activity. You know, where we are in operation. We we don't have an agreement with Clorox. Okay, we have an agreement with a salt distributor. A relationship with a salt distributor that happens to have a marketing agreement with Clorox of their own. Okay, so we we don't interact at all with the with the Clorox company in any way, shape, or form. That business arrangement, that marketing arrangement, is through our uh, the distributor that we do business with. They that's their baby. We've arrived at every gram of our salt goes to that to that bagged product that happens to have the Clorox. Uh, label on it. Okay. So we don't, we do not make any salt and market it under any other label aside from that one. To be honest, the relationship that we have with this marketing company, it's grown to the point where basically anywhere we're going to be building facilities, they are able to market our salt. I mean, because of the fact that, I mean, there's multiple, you know, elements to that, but you know, um, uh, they want to continue to build their business and they are always hungry for new suppliers. And we happen to be a domestic supplier. That's kind of untapped, you know I mean? Recovering high purity, uh, you know, earth metal salts, uh, you know, from a wastewater stream, that's an undefined, nobody's done it. You know I mean? So they, they kind of sunk their hooks into us and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of claim this, you know, and, let's work together and just, you're going to be a supplier. You know, we're going to take every gram that you make, no matter where you do it, you know, kind of a thing. So
0: if it's pool salt, is it, you know, are you restricted to, you know, distributors like or retailers like Walmart and, and Sam's club or does it get beyond there too?
1: Well, uh, to be honest, um, we play no role in that. And that's why we aligned ourselves with the company that that's what they do for a living. I um, see. So we established that business. So th- for all week, I mean, we are aware because we do have, you know, kind of a, a working relationship with this company, obviously. Um, and they, they make it known where our salt is going, you know, kind of like an FYI, but we don't ever, how do I put this? Like they, we could, they could be distributing it to 10 different retail outlet, 10 different companies and different chains. And we would have no idea. Okay. So we just happen, to, you know, we happen to know that our salt ends up in Lowe's home Depot and Walmart, you know, um, if they are, in fact, looking to add and have, in fact, added more more uh, retail outlets and commercial outlets, we're not, you know, there, there's nothing restricting them and stopping them from doing so, you know, because it, we're nothing but a supplier for them. I mean, that's really how that works, you know. Um,
0: how, many, um, um, how many facilities in the country operate like yours, you know, in terms of, of... None. So you guys are the sole operator in terms of the way you're... Uh, Correct. Right. Now, I'm going to put an
1: asterisk on that. I'm going to tell you this. There are... There are some other operators in North America that are coming close to what we do, okay? Now, like, here's an example. There is a facility in West Virginia that we do not directly compete with because it's far enough away, um, and they deal with a whole different, you know, kind of uh, region within the Marcellus um, called the Antero facility. Antero is the name of an oil and gas company that themselves decided to build a, attempt to build a sophisticated treatment plan and resource recovery plan, just like we have. Okay. And it is online and they are to our understanding only treating their own, uh, produced water from their own oil and gas operations. Okay. Um, you know, we're knowledgeable that we have provided ourselves for historically in our timeline. Okay. And we're, again, we're the only one that's doing this. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. And, and, um, we have evolved to the point where we are hungry for the highest margin we could possibly generate. And that translates to saving our customers money because we can lower our treatment cost. you know, uh, if we, if we generate revenue. So, um, that's, it's all interrelated and it's all focused on, you know, generating the cleanest product co-product that could be used for as many things as possible, you know, and, and the most stringent things as possible without getting into food grade because, We, we will never make a product that's going to be any other product that's going to be used for human consumption. That's just not going to happen.
0: Are are, are there any downsides to using the salt this way? What are the downsides to this? Uh,
1: You mean for, for pool salt? Is that what you're asking me?
0: Yeah. For the, the, the commercial, you know, production of a pool salt like this. So there, can there be any downsides to it?
1: I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I am extremely confident in saying no. And I'll tell you why that is entirely based on the analytical chemistry, the quality of our salt, which is checked rigorously. We had, you know, not only to to get into this game, we had to prove ourselves and, and show that our salt was chemically equivalent to salt that's on shelves every day. And we have to continually meet that spec. So in my opinion, based on data, based on empirical data, there is no difference. There is no risk, in my opinion, because when our salt is analyzed via analytical methods that are standard in the industry, our salt is indistinguishable from other commercially, you know, saleable sources of salt. So, and that is the only way Eureka is ever going to market any cool product. You know, we our our material will never hit any any user market unless we can say that. That's that's kind of how we roll. So, we're on the verge of uh, implementing calcium chloride recovery and generating a saleable calcium chloride material, um, and we already have letters of intent to with our marketing, you know, partner. To, they're going to absorb every gram that we make of that. And concurrent with the calcium chloride recovery initiative, we are also hot on the trail of lithium recovery, with the goal being generating a battery-grade lithium uh, product from – and all these constituents are in the brine. You just have to go after them one at a time is essentially the, the concept. And the easiest one to go after chemically is the sodium chloride, and that's what, why we did that first. But all the other ions that I just mentioned, they're still in the the the, uh, the brine, and we can get those out. Um, and we, we will soon be adding that to our portfolio. So that's, that's coming up
0: fracking waste itself is is filled with all these chemicals and it's filled with this uh, radioactive material and the, You know the, the big question then would be how is it possible that the salt? You know doesn't end up including these chemicals or including the the radioactive material
1: I think that's a very valid question. I think those that are not Even some of the people some of the individuals and companies that are in the industry had a hard time with that, but the answer is our patented process. Our treatment process is the means by which all of those deleterious constituents are removed. Okay. So if you ever came to our facility, you would you would see, for example, our flagship facility that's making our sodium chloride product. And we only have one plant that's doing that right now in our portfolio of plants. Um, you would see a, an approximate 20-acre site that parallel that appears to be like a chemical plant, okay? Uh various unit processes that are removing constituents and isolating uh the deleterious constituents one at a time. Okay. And so for example, at the begin at the at the front end of our plant where we receive all the raw raw uh oil and gas wastewater brines, um the whole goal is to get that brine pre-treated and safe for the crystallizer. So we are physical using physical chemical treatment processes where we are pre-treating the brine to get it ready as crystallizer feed. Okay. Um, And make no mistake, it's a challenge and we're highly regulated in how we do that. But it was through the the development of a proprietary treatment process and a patented pre process. We have two patents for the way that we do this, we are able to pre-treat brine, send it through a crystallization process and just precipitate only the sodium chloride. Okay. And all the other impurities are either removed in that pretreatment process or they are purged from the crystallizer. So I'm giving you a lot of detail there and there's a lot more detail behind that. Um, which you could learn about, if, for example, if you submitted a FOIA request to the DEP in Pennsylvania, and you could easily plug into all of the permit documents, all the regulatory paraphernalia and, and submittals, which disclose our process. I mean, it's all right there. It's all publicly available. Um, it's all of the treatment steps in a very complicated treatment process that that isolates product and separates product from from. The deleterious constituents that's that's the the summary answer you
0: know well the one thing that stood out with uh with what we looked at in the documents was that there was you know the the most of everything would have been removed as far as we could tell um through the treatment process but there was still some very low you know detections of radioactive material in the salt but it's when we no. when we ran that past I will,
1: I will, I'm going to interrupt you there. We have no detectable radionuclides in our salt product, and I could, stand, I could provide data that substantiates that statement.
0: Huh. Well, we, we looked at the Seawald Laboratories report and then the geochemistry one, and there was, like, a low detections of the radium, um, which we, we had that sent to a professor, and they just said that, well, that's so low that it's, like, below any type of background that you would normally find. In correct. Correct. It it would be analogous to, um,
1: uh, oh, I don't know, you know, getting a, getting a shovel full of gravel and measuring the, 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 the radionuclide, uh, activity in in that compared to our solids, It's, it's background. I mean, it's, 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 um, below background levels and extremely low. So to say that there's any residual constituents in that in that salt that are attributed to the feedstock, I, I don't I would not say that. I mean it's our data shows radionuclide activities that are well within background activity levels. So um,
0: yeah. Do you think that and, do you think it'd be important but, for the do you think it'd be important for the consumer to know that the salt was produced, you know, from a facility that also treated the radioactive material or do you think that that kind of disclosure just isn't necessary in this case uh i would have no problem if that
1: disclosure was something that was asked of us and uh um i don't entirely disagree with that i mean i, I again I, as a company we operate as transparent as we possibly can um you know within the confines of respecting our our customers you know um uh, wishes and whatnot, but yeah, I mean, I, that's not something I would be uncomfortable with. Again, if I didn't have a set of a data that is about as bulletproof as possible, I would think differently. But we are we are watched from multiple directions. Regulatory agencies, our self uh, marketing partner, our distribution partner, they monitor our cell quality and. If there's an, an excursion from a specification, we would not we would not last very long. So Let's if see. that disclosure is something that, you know, uh, is required and or preferred or, you know, whatever however you want to put it, I, I personally would have no problem with that. But um, I think yeah.
0: Does the state require you to screen for radioactive material regularly, or is there any screening yes. at all annually?
1: Yes. Is that- on a on a constant basis, that's correct, yes.
0: Is that also for the salt or just for the truckload?
1: Uh, it's, it has more to do with the actual operation of the entire facility. You know, We have a residual waste permit from the Pennsylvania DEP, as I'm sure you know, because you've, you have some documents there by the sound of it. Um, and a requirement of getting a residual waste permit, it's called a WMGR 123 permit um, in Pennsylvania. You have to develop a RAD management plan a norm management plan, and this is a requirement of getting that permit. You have to develop and maintain it. And that plan, which, again, I'm guessing you might even have a copy of it already for our facilities, um, outlines all kinds of different monitoring that has to take place throughout our facilities on a constant basis. Incoming trucks, process equipment, product, uh, you know, every everything the sludge from our pretreatment process, you know, we are constantly monitoring. There is not a second that we're not monitoring. Um,
0: Well, the uh, the one thing that stood out was that the, 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 the waste itself um, was a residual waste, but then when the salt was created, the salt was not defined as waste. So in that case, then the salt would not be required to be monitored. Right.
1: In fact, I have asked the DEP this question and then the answer I got is, it technically is waste until it crosses the PA border and leaves the state. Even the salt product that I, that we've been talking about for the last hour, I believe is still technically regarded as a waste. The DEP requires us to do quarterly, at least a quarterly uh, full scan analysis of our salt and report that to them because they, and that, that's under the, the concept of that still being a waste by definition. Okay. So, what I would recommend you do is talk to somebody at the waste bureau at the DP, and they'll they'll put more meat on that on the bones of that. But by definition, I still believe it is regarded as a waste material. That's correct.
0: Is there ever a time when the the system you guys have patented, you know, doesn't work, and then you end up having a dirty salt, and you have to kind of like redo everything, or does that ever happen before?
1: Yeah, no, we have off-spec salt, and it's it's a. Yeah. I mean, that's that's true for any production facility in this world. I mean, no matter what you're making, every Every second that you're operating, you know, is not going to be perfect. You're you're not going to make, uh, you know, perfect product. I don't care if you're making cars or you know, footballs. I mean, there's going to be screw ups, of course. But, um, I would I would tell you that the the quantity, the percentage of off spec salt is extremely low in the our process, and if there is any off spec material that's generated, um, it's isolated. It's not made part of any kind of final, outgoing product, and it's recycled back in our, into our facility for re, you know, put back into solution and put back into the crystallizer, so that we can recover that sodium chloride, you know, effectively. So, um, anybody that operates any kind of production facility that says they have no, no off-spec, no screw-ups, they're lying, and we're we're no different, you know. So it's all about having the right processes. Uh, to accommodate, you know, and to police that and manage that. And we do.
0: And the last, you know, sense in the commercial side of this, you know, is it, how are you able to get a salt that is more affordable for companies like, you know, Clorox to sell at their stores rather than the salt they would normally get, you know, like through mining and whatnot?
1: Yeah, I think that's another very astute kind of question, but, and I'm not on the marketing side personally, I'm an engineer, but, I mean, my understanding is when it pertains as it pertains to the relationship we established with our distribution partner, they happen to have a hole in their coverage, you know, their market coverage in this part of the United States. So if they did not really have business, OK, uh, set up and or they were using other suppliers of sodium chloride that were more that were expensive. So we popped up on the radar here we are, a salt producer, a new salt producer. So we, we're not mining anything, you know. We all of a sudden had a facility that was making a hundred tons a day of, of, of clean product in a hole in their market that they would have loved to have a, a, a supplier that was closer, you know. Um, so I don't think it's a matter of uh, cheap, what's cheaper or whatever. It's a matter of the di- dynamics of how that relationship developed, you know. Other, for example, other salt companies that we've talked to in the past, okay, they already have a well uh uh evolved supplier network where we exist. So that conversation did those kinds of conversations did not go far because they already are established. They have whatever mines or whatever they have, okay. Um, uh, crystallizer facilities of their own, whatever it may be. You know, they have they have they have their supply chain locked down and are happy with it. So yeah, it's all about we established a relationship with a marketing company that had a hole in a market, and they were looking for a supplier in our geographical region. And here, that's and before you know it, you have a contract. You <laughs> know, so um,
0: but, I, I yeah. saw on your guys' uh, website too. You had that four step process for treating it. Can you explain that?
1: So yes, that pre treatment step is is basically, if you want to summarize it, it's gravitational settling. It's Phys chem treatment, okay, and uh, that's basically it, okay. It's it's those main physical and chemical unit processes: settling, gravitational settling, and phys chem treatment. Okay, now <clears throat> we talked at length about the function of the crystallizer on this call, and that that is basically the the the, the function. It's a sodium chloride crystallizer, and it's focused on on targeted. Uh, crystallization of only sodium chloride, okay? And and this is not an innovative process in and of itself. Crystallizers are used in many industries. Uh, gypsum, obviously sodium chloride, calcium chloride, you know, every most table salt that's consumed in this country is generated from a crystallizer, okay, by salt companies. So all we did was apply crystallization technology on a different kind of brine. That's how crystallizers. I mean, crystallizers like this are operated around the world every minute of every day. Um, they just get their brine from another source. So, and the, the actual mechanisms of crystallization within that process, that and, and that that technology, it's no different. Okay, we 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 target the sodium chloride. It happens to crystallize first in the series of salts, and that's exactly how we run our machine. You no, know, uh, that's how we operate that. Mm-hmm. Um, now. The the de-wasting thing is something we didn't talk about at all on this call. Um, One other very, very unique uh, capability of our process is that um, the water, the fresh water that basically gets the condensate that gets discharged from the crystallizer. Okay. And before I even dive into this, let me step back and, and have you visualize something. So the crystallizer has one input which is the pre-treated brine from the front end of the plant. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it has three outputs, one in three out. The three outputs are obviously the salt. Okay. That that drops out of solution and is crystallized, dried and bagged and sold in stores. Okay. Commercially. The second output is the fresh water that you're driving off from the brine to crystallize. Okay. like the condensate, um, and that's nothing that's nothing more than a second grade science experiment for you to visualize that. We've all done it in science class in second grade where you're trying to make a salt crystal in a solution by just boiling a salty brine solution. That's ex- essentially what it is. And you're driving off more and more water vapor, but it's not driven off into the environment. We collect that. Okay, and that's because it's evaporated out of the brine and it's a fresh water. It's clean. I mean it's it's Significantly devoid of any other constituents, all that remained in the brine, you know, uh, in the process. Um, and then the other output, there, there is a blowdown stream. There's a purge stream from the crystallizer that has, and that's where a lot of other constituents go. It's the other salts, calcium, strontium, barium, magnesium. That it, it's purged from the process. And again, this is no different than any other crystallizer in this world. That's how that's how evaporative processes work um so the reason why i painted that picture is to describe to you what the de-wasting process is and the de-wasting process and again i kind of preface this by saying this is a unique only eureka does this we're able to further treat that condensate coming out of the crystallizer and de-waste generate de-wasted water through a treatment process that polishes the condensate generated from the crystallizer because yes, the condensate from the crystallizer is significantly lower in every constituent relative to the raw water coming in the front door, but it's not safe for surface water discharge via a NIPDES permit, or it's not able to meet de-wasting standards in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Okay. And there is such a regulatory requirement. Um, or set of criteria if you want to de-waste your water okay Um, and what that means I mean that that is essentially inherent in that description what the DEP said and they released some you know some regulatory uh, frameworks for this um, they basically added on an appendix onto the WMGR 123 permit the residual waste permit and the DP came out and said that if you can meet these requirements for the effluent from your facility, which is permitted as a 123 permit facility, if you can meet these requirements, we will de-waste your water. It is no longer regarded as a waste. If, for example, an oil and gas company wants to come and take that that clean water back, they do not have to put it in a waste impoundment, for example. okay, They could put it in a freshwater impoundment. We are the only company in Pennsylvania that has proven and demonstrated with a submittal to the DEP that we meet our technology can generate de wasted water. Okay? And to our knowledge, there to our knowledge, there is nobody else in North America that is able to do that with unconventional oil and gas brines. And so we are essentially generating deionized water. Okay, we're, we're stripping everything out of the water, including down to the trace levels of dissolved constituents. Any kind of salts, everything is removed, and that is our final level from our treatment plant.
0: Uh You can find out more about this story by going to publicherald.org and reading what we published on there. Uh, you can also help our reporting by donating to public herald at publicherald.org slash donate and if you have any tips for us you can always reach out to us via email on our contact page thanks for listening and we'll catch you at the next show